So hello and welcome to NAM Talks. As always, I'd just like to let you know that if you have any questions, you can always contact us via our corporate email, which is nordiafunds at nordia.com. So this morning, we will be discovering how investor engagement has the potential to enhance future company valuations, while at the same time, creating positive real world change. Now, to do that effectively, we believe that this requires sophisticated climate expertise plus a solid framework to unlock shareholder value. So to discuss this further, I'm joined this morning by senior engagement analyst, Mikaela Zirova. Good morning, Mikaela. Good morning, Paul. Hi, Mikaela. Mikaela's in Copenhagen. We're also joined from Stockholm by senior ESG analyst, Ellen Noring. Good morning, Ellen. Morning, Paul. Hi. Right, so last year we launched our global climate engagement strategy, which is a pioneering investment solution in what we're referring to as Climate Investing 2.0. So Ellen, maybe could you just explain what we mean by Climate Investing 2.0 exactly? Sure. Yeah, so, you know, I would say that for us, Climate Investing 2.0 means approaching this from a bit of a new angle. So traditional climate investing, I would say, is mainly about going into the ESG leaders and the solution providers of this world. And companies in these more traditional strategies are, of course, much needed in the transitioning of the economy towards a net zero state. But as you pointed out in, in your introduction, Paul, I would say that it's also important that we admit to ourselves that we can't do the transitioning without also decarbonizing these more hard to abate sectors, so these more heavy emitting names that are out there. So that is what this strategy is really about, flipping things around and generating alpha by investing and holding companies that have a journey in front of them, accountable to this ultimate goal of, of reaching a net zero state. Exactly, and I think what's particularly interesting is the fact that you have these two key elements. You have an investment thesis and an engagement thesis, and that's perhaps a little bit different than previous uh, uh, strategies that we've that we've had uh, here at Nordea. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that you know what makes this strategy a bit unique is the fact that first and foremost, we engage with every single name in the portfolio. And that makes, of course, a lot of sense because we want these companies to uh, develop in, in a positive direction and we need to support and push them uh, on that journey. Uh, another key differentiator is the fact, as you mentioned, Paul, that the engagement thesis and the investment thesis are completely interlinked here. So the thinking behind the strategy is to only engage on what makes financially material sense to the company. And by engaging on those topics, by setting the right targets, the right strategies, back up with the right type of capital, we believe that that could result in a valuation uplift. So it's really win-win for, for the financials and also for the environment. Exactly. So then, in this year, you know, in June, I think it was, we issued the um, inaugural climate engagement annual report. 
for this strategy. Why is this level of disclosure so important when we're talking about um, an engagement strategy? Yeah, so I would say that this level of reporting is extremely at the center of the strategy because we need to keep clients up to speed with the progress of our engagement work. Because when client invests in this portfolio, it's made on the back of a promise that we will do our uttermost to move these companies in a positive direction. So in order then to showcase what type of progress that is being made during the engagement period, we need to be super transparent with what we're asking for from the portfolio companies and also what the progress is during the engagement period. And I would say that this report enables exactly this, to have this frequent feedback loop to our clients on the activities that we conduct and also the developments of, of the companies over time. Exactly. And I know that you, you focus on five primary engagement themes. So perhaps it'd be a good idea if you could just sort of talk us through them uh, one by one. Yeah. So. As you said, the, the portfolio invests across five different climate-related themes. So we have air and greenhouse gas emissions, energy management, environmental pollution, natural resource management, and also sustainable business models. And all of these themes, they are different, but they are sometimes overlapping aspects of what climate management really is about. So as you can hopefully see behind me, even though the theme air and greenhouse gas emissions is the most common one, our intention of bringing more themes into the mix is to create this broad and diverse portfolio where we engage on what makes financial material sense to the company. So if we just take a few examples for an, an industrial player, for instance, Decarbonizing should, of course, be at the center of the climate work that is being conducted, whereas it for an agricultural player is more about natural resource management and reducing the dependency on uh, the nature and, and the surrounding environment. So the themes presents us with a breadth, but also enables us to focus on what the core challenges and opportunities are for the companies in the portfolio. So just, just more generally, because I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, most people out there don't really know what exactly goes on behind the curtain of engagement. So what are, you, what are the engagement discussions that you're, you're having with companies in the portfolio? Who are you talking to? What are you talking about? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, we have this 100% engagement coverage for uh, this portfolio. Um, and it's really about you know, seeking out these more lagging and misunderstood stories in the context of the transition of the economy, uh, and then working closely with the management team to set the right strategies and communicate efficiently to, to the market and see that valuation uplift. Um, if we're becoming very practical for a bit, I would say that an engagement can, of course, take many different shapes and forms. Um, I would say that two very obvious ways of engaging is either to do it individually, so in a one-on-one -on -one session with the company representative, or you do it collaboratively with other investors. And 
The latter approach of teaming up with others is often the preferred method that we choose, as it not only enables us to share knowledge between one another, but it also enables us to increase the ownership shares in the companies and consequently the pressure on the companies to deliver. So on the back of this, we've entered into a number of different uh, collaborative initiatives. So we're, for instance, leading on names like Early Kid, we're leading on names like ArcelorMittal, on Solvay, uh, just to name a few. And individual versus collaborative engagements aside, we also strive to engage with senior management or the company's subject matter experts. So those that either take the strategic decisions or those that are closest to the matter at hand. And our dialogues, they always center around what the expectation set is. And then we establish that when we enter into the name. So we have this pre-investment call with the companies where we take a temperature check on whether management actually agrees with the focus that we think is, is relevant for the company to have. And then it's really a matter of following up and keeping the companies accountable to these deliveries. Exactly. And maybe maybe now I can I can ask Michaela to answer the next question because I've been picking on you, Ellen, and uh, perhaps it's chance for, for Michaela to, to join the conversation because I guess the next natural question is then, you know, who gains what from, from the engagement? So, you know, what do the companies gain and, and how do we as investors benefit? Thanks for this, Paul. Ellen mentioned something very important. Engagement case and investment case are very closely connected. So hopefully uh, both the company and us as investors should gain from this process. We're really hoping for a win-win here. For us, uh, the core thing, as Ellen already mentioned, we hope to unlock value. We hope for the company through achieving these improvements to achieve also an uplifting valuation and improvement of multiples and also to be able to tell a different story about itself. Ultimately, being visible to a more sustainable investor base has many, many benefits for companies, primarily valuation-wise, but also in terms of access to capital and from a reputational perspective. Uh, and as you see here, this is clearly something that is both in the company's interest and in ours. So it becomes very hard to distinguish okay, this bit of the pie is for us and this bit of the pie is for them. We are hoping that we are working here in, in a common interest. And we are also hoping to be supportive where appropriate. Uh, we fully understand that this won't be the case in all situations, but what we think is very much on our side and makes us stronger bringing our engagement cases forward is that we only want to achieve things that make case for, uh, sense for the company financially and that are also in the company's control. So you have a primary alignment from which everything else follows. Exactly, and I guess that's what partly feeds into this engagement thesis that we have when we start talking to a company. You know, there has to be this willingness to change as well um, in order to unlock that value. And maybe it's a, it's a good idea because examples are always great. It's always nice to illustrate uh, what we're doing with, with an example. Do you have something, you know, an engagement that we've been involved in you know, over the last sort of 12 months or so that you could perhaps share with us? I do indeed, Paul, and I think it goes right to the heart of what this strategy is about. So it's a company called RWE, 
It's a well-known name and I think it embodies some of the challenges we would like to address both as investors and as engagement professionals. So RWE is a German energy company uh, with very significant presence in Central Europe and increasingly also the US. And it's right in the middle of transitioning from a very traditional fossil fuel burning energy provider to, some, to a company that is very much focused towards renewables and towards uh, low carbon energy provision. Uh, it's been quite a bumpy road, quite controversial. Uh, the most recent development there is that RWE entered a deal with the German government to revive some coal capacity in exchange of uh, being able to pursue an earlier exit from coal overall. Uh, there's also been very interesting developments on the US end where RWE is developing very quickly to a key provider of wind power. So for us, what has been interesting in this case has been to ensure that the transition strategy is credible and that the expansion into renewables is very well substantiated quite early in the process so that we can justify some of the trade-offs involved along the way. The path to decarbonization of RWE is very clear, but it very much depends on them really building that renewable pipeline, installing the capacity that they need to deliver on their decarbonization targets. So we have been engaging with them in several quite constructive meetings in order to gain more visibility and more granularity on their next steps expanding their pipeline. We also have been very focused on understanding in which way are they going to uh, deliver, in which way are they going to expand their capacity. And uh, where I'm going with this is uh, you can build your capacity, you can buy it in, it can be in many different locations. So we have been very focused on understanding the particulars of that strategy in order to be able to test its credibility. To that end, uh, we've also collaborated with uh, other investors and we've exchanged views with them. Uh, some of those investors uh, have adopted a more contrarian approach than us. Others uh, um, have been uh, part of those initiatives my uh, Ellie mentioned uh, in those broader investor collaborations. So we have been quite multifaceted in our approach. And what we think we have gained from that is a better ability to first to make a call on how credible this strategy is and be um, more precise ways in which to challenge management, challenge management to exit call earlier and deliver on their renewable targets quicker. Uh, we have another meeting lined up with the RWE two weeks from now, so it will remain to be quite interesting. And the way this, these conversations fit in our framework, we see them as uh, contributing to KPIs 4 and 6 of the Net Zero Investor Framework, and that broadly relates to the strategic goals of the decarbonization strategy. Okay, I've got a follow-up question on that one, because you, know, you mentioned that um, when we started talking about clearly like we're aiming to improve the profile um, of companies in the portfolio. To, to unlock that value and, and generate returns. But I just wondered also in terms of the carbon footprint of the portfolio over time, you know, what, what should we expect to see? And I think RWE is probably a good example of, of that. That's a great question, Paul. And 
To start with, this is not a low-carbon portfolio at all. This strategy is about delivering real-world decarbonization in the highest emitting sectors. So clearly what you should see over time is uh, uh, hopefully a shrinkage in the individual carbon footprint of these companies according to a decarbonization curve that aligns with the goals of the Paris Agreement. It's a little bit trickier to answer this on a portfolio level. Uh, and the reason for this is that uh, you, we could potentially, led by the investment opportunity, rotate out of a name that's relatively progressing relatively well on this decarbonization uh, uh, journey and rotate into a new heavy emitting name. But I hope that with the help of the climate function of uh, RI, we will be able uh, to find an appropriate adjusted Paris aligned benchmark uh, with which to be able to showcase the effect over time. I see. Yeah, that's that's a really important point to, to make there, isn't it? I, I... And perhaps if you like, uh, I can expand a little bit more on that. Uh, we are working to for each of our companies to see how the decarbonization will work going forward. And we do a bit of scenario modeling on there. And we aim also to make a call on which seems most likely. Ultimately, this adjusted for, you know, investment-led changes in the portfolio. I want to be very clear on this, that when you adjust for that factor, you should be seeing a decrease in the carbon footprint over time. Exactly. And, and presumably, you know, there's an expectation of decarbonization within a particular company's footprint. But by engaging, we can, we can speed up or maybe even improve that um, so that that line then drops off quicker or steeper. Oh, yes. And that is a very important uh, component of how we think that the line will go. If I can just jump in and add to what Miguela just elegantly uh, explained, I would say that it's important to keep in mind that for this strategy, the investment horizon is three to five years. So keeping that in mind, it's a bit unreasonable to believe that a company like RWE will decarbonize fully within that investment horizon. Um, and I think it's also a comfort knowing what the equity market is really about because future credible commitments are being discounted back to today. So our focus with the strategy is really to set the right targets, set the right strategies, ensure that the company back it with the right type of capital. And then we think that that will reflect in, in the share price of the company. So it's, it's really about creating that foundation for decarbonization ahead, even though those substantial emission reductions aren't taking place within the horizon of this portfolio. So just keeping that in mind, I think it's it's important for, for everyone to be aware of. Yeah, that's, re that's a really good point. Just just one last question, I think, in the interest of time, um, because over the years, you know, Nordea has, has built a very strong set of climate capabilities. I just wondered, you know, this is this is something new. This is this is kind of pioneering in, in the space. Where does it fit within the climate toolbox in terms of a broader portfolio, Michaela, perhaps you could answer that. Happy to take that one, Paul. So this strategy is indeed a little bit special because in order to run it successfully, you need two main things, engagement expertise and climate expertise. 
and on this nexus from our broad toolbox these are the two key components that contribute to this strategy and i do think that uh, this is a fairly distinctive product because uh, engagement is resource intensive and not many people would have uh, the resources and uh, the time to dedicate to communicating with uh, 50 companies on fairly complex decarbonization related topics. Uh, and that again feeds into the importance of climate expertise to give us the knowledge, to give us the underpinning to be able to have meaningful and productive conversations with companies on the one hand. And the other important contribution of that is that it also helps us track the impact that we are having. So that's where it fits uh, within the bench of uh, Nordea's capabilities. As I mentioned before, if you look into this from a client perspective and uh, a client who potentially has a view on sustainability related topics, uh, if you want a portfolio with a low carbon footprint, uh, this strategy likely is not the most suitable one. But if what you're interested in is real world impact, then that could potentially be a very good fit. Exactly. Thank you very much. I'm going to just do a wrap up now and look at the key takeaways. And then afterwards, I'm just going to ask you if there's anything that, that you would like to add. So in terms of you know, today's key takeaways. I think, you know, as investors, um, we can benefit from the potential valuation uplift in companies that have uh, credible transition plans. Um, and that, like Ellen was saying, it gets priced into the market um, perhaps ahead of the, the actual fact. Secondly, um, sophisticated climate expertise is, in our view, a prerequisite for long-term engagement success. Um, and in order to do that, you need to underpin it with a solid framework and also the specialist reporting that, that we mentioned uh, earlier. And then finally, there are many ways to address uh, the climate challenge and the Climate Investing 2.0 approach is the next step in addressing, as you just said, Michaela, real world change. Those were the key takeaways. Is there anything either of you would like to add before we end the session this morning? I think you've summed it up rather beautifully. Yeah, so if I were to just end up with a few words, I would do something a bit corny and, and just quote uh, what a very wise man, uh, Mark Corney, once said. So what he said was that the goal of the financial industry is to support real-world decarbonization and not the false comfort of portfolio decarbonization. And I think that this is really key. Uh, and this is also what we're trying to do here. So invest in names that have a long way to go still, but that will continue to be relevant in the future. And by doing so, maximizing the possibility to create real world change and not only change on paper. So that is really what we're setting out to do here. Brilliant. Well, wasn't that corny? I thought that was a great one. A good quote. <laughs> so um, thank you both for joining us this morning. Thank you, Elian. Thank you. And thank you, Michaela. Thank you. And before we sign off, if you're looking for more information on our views and investment solutions, please do go and visit nordiaassetmanagement.com. Thank you. See you again.